Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. How are you? Hope you are well. As usual, a lot of things to talk about we will cover during the next couple of hours. And we will also be on the alert for any breaking news that may develop during the time that we are on air. It happens pretty often and could very well happen today. A number of things we will delve into over the next couple of hours. One of them overnight. The Senate has passed that $95 billion package with aid for Ukraine and Israel. Now there will be a big showdown with the House. Where so many of the members are not in the mood for passing anything like this. We will see what is ahead for this particular piece of legislation. Axios has a really interesting piece about the ongoing struggle over the border. But it may not be the struggle that you're thinking of. You may be thinking of this battle between Democrats and Republicans, between the White House and Republicans, between the White House and big city mayors. But this battle is actually closer to home, as in the president's home, the infighting with his own staff trying to figure out how to deal with the border. I know I've said this kind of thing repeatedly, and some of you may start to yawn and think, okay, there he goes again. But I guarantee you, if we were to take Joe Biden and all of his cabinet, everybody involved in the border issue, and we were to remove them for 24 hours, and we were to find however many people, random people, I don't know, in Gastonia. We can just pluck people out of Gastonia, put them in the White House. They'll figure it out. I'm serious. This is not complicated stuff, folks. It really isn't. They're making this look more complicated and difficult than it is. But this is what happens when you're not honest. We'll talk about what's going on behind the scenes in this particular battle. Have you heard about Plan B? No, we're not talking about any contraceptives here. (laughs) We're talking about what happens if that well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, for whatever reason, ends up not being the Democrat nominee. What are the Democrats going to do? Who is going to come to the rescue? We'll talk about this, a political story, speculating about what could happen. More on the positive side for Democrats, at least they're hoping so. As you know, George Santos has been thrown under the bus which means there's now an open congressional seat. Today is election day. And there's an effort by Democrats to take this seat. We will talk about the race that is going on and Democrat hopes they will be able to pull this off. Kind of entertaining to watch this spectacle. We've got new information on the shooting that happened at the church associated with 
Joel Osteen. Boy, is this a winner. And I don't expect the mainstream news media to spend a lot of time on this. Because it turns out this person is really screwed up. I was leaving the house yesterday. And I saw on the screen when they put this information up. Okay, this person is Janesse, who previously used the name Jeffrey. I thought, oh boy, this story is going to die real quickly. Because it's not the narrative mainstream news media wants. Or the liberals want. They want to talk about guns. This is clearly a story about profound mental illness. We'll tell you what we have learned about this suspect. Transformation Tuesday coming up. As part of that, I'm going to share a story about someone working what might be described as a menial job. And you now know his name more than likely because of a song that he wrote while working in this menial job. It's so cool to hear about this man's story. And the choices he made later in life. That is coming up for Transformation Tuesday. And an update on the Super Bowl. More information on the ratings. And it's really good news for folks who put on that show. We'll also have a little fun with someone who does an incredible impersonation. Not even going to tell you who the impersonation is of. In fact, I think this will be a fun thing to do to see if Tommy can figure out who she is trying to sound like. All of this and much more as we continue our broadcast first. I love this story. Fun story reported by WBTV. A North Carolina father just stopped into a convenience store for a drink. Just stopped in for a drink. Routine day. Probably thought it was going to be a routine rest of his day. But he ended up walking away much richer, he decided to buy a scratch-off ticket. Joshua Ramsey went to the Mike's Food Store in Gastonia to buy a drink. But he ended up buying a 20x the cash ticket for $5 as well. He told the folks in the North Carolina Lottery, something was just telling me to get that ticket. I'm sure glad I did. He was absolutely blown away when he won. Lottery officials said it was the first top prize win in the scratch-off game. It just debuted this month. Ramsey said, I just started shaking all over. One of those experiences you will never forget. He called his sister and his son to share the good news. I'm sure. (laughs) They were both just over the moon ecstatic. Life-changing for us. I'm going to buy my family a home. In addition to buying a home, he'll look into buying a car as well. By the way, there are nine to nine prizes like this to be claimed from the 20x The Cash game. By the way, you want to know how much money he won in this scratch-off ticket? $250,000. He collected his prize Friday at Lottery Headquarters, $178,751 after state and federal taxes were taken out. 
1-800-878-751. Can you imagine that? Just going in for a drink. Best drink and of your life we, by far. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. So we congratulate Joshua Ramsey and hope everything goes well with his life and uh, that this is a turning point. Still to come in the broadcast, the Senate's. I'm sure you're so proud of your senators working all night long to blow $95.3 billion with a foreign aid bill. I think for many of us, our hope is this thing dies in the House. We'll talk about this coming up in just a few minutes. First, much closer to home, we told you about this ongoing conversation about what to do with some things that were decriminalized back in 2021. So officers didn't have any options. They can just warn people or give them a civil citation. What kind of things are we talking about? Well, you know, minor bad behavior like public masturbation, beer and wine consumption, possession of open containers, Disposal of containers, trespassing in a motor vehicle, public urination and defecation. You know, insignificant stuff. <laughs> Soliciting from the street or median strip. So what's behind this? Why is this so important? And what's made this such a hot issue? Joining us now. We have City Councilman Tark Bakari back with us to discuss what has happened here and why. Welcome back, sir. Vince, good to talk to you. Well, let's jump right in. We saw this pass by voters 7-3 to recriminalize these things. Uh, what's the reasoning behind this? Why is this so important? Yeah, well, I mean, you and I discussed this while I was you know, on the campaign trail right after the election. It was really two things. One, um, things like crime and homelessness and panhandling are just getting to the point where everyone's recognizing they're out of control. And two, like I told you, I, I, I felt an extra weight on my shoulders to do something different than I'd done in the last six years, which clearly wasn't producing the outcomes and results that were needed. So I have you know, really focused and dedicated myself to figuring out how to collaborate and bring other folks along that, you know, have different perspectives than I do, but I know there's certain value props that they care about. And this is not the end solution, but this is a major step in the right direction around uh, these ordinances that dropped off the books in 2021 that we just kept hearing from our police officers. You know, when we go up and tell somebody that's in a two-foot median strip with four lanes of traffic whizzing by them that's panhandling, there's nothing we can do. There's no teeth. When someone is masturbating in the 7th Street Market underneath their clothes and someone calls the cops, nothing they can do. Um, defecating next to their house or urinating right in front of a school bus, it, it, there was nothing they could do. So, I mean, to a lot of us listening to WBT, 
this seems like, yeah, no brainer, but it, it was a lot more complicated to get to this point. And we saw that uh, front and center last night with 300 people packing, um, packing the, 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 the chamber and screaming, you know, inappropriately shame, 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 trying to bully the council into not taking the step. What's the reasoning behind not criminalizing these things? Uh, what's the defense to allow these behaviors to continue with essentially a slap on the wrist, if that? Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as, as understanding as possible, and a lot of it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But the best I can explain it is this factor that has existed for the entire time I've been on council and what I've been watching before that, which is th- there's this there's this belief from the progressive world that this, the system has failed these folks. There's systemic injustices that have put them in their current situation, um, and it isn't their fault. And because of that, we have to fix the systemic injustices and these problems before we even contemplate saying no, that, that that's not acceptable and what we can do. And I think the problem with that logic is, and I get it, I mean, there's some truth to that, but the problem is we can do both of those things at one time, um, and, and, and in reality, we've been just trying to do the latter of fixing the systemic injustices, and we've done it to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's not like we've even, we haven't even made a dent in the problem, it's worse. So my argument was, let's do both, and, and I really think it's as simple as, like, if we say no longer is panhandling allowed in this city, no longer are we going to allow uh, homeless people to sleep in the streets, we're not going to take them to jail. That's a last resort. But we're going to stack them up in front of all these organizations that we have pumped all this money into. And, and we're going to look at that as a humanitarian crisis that is at their front door that they can't serve. And then we get really targeted and focused on all that stuff. But I, I, I think the problem is just so much deeper in their minds. It, it, some of them are, you know, don't want to kind of get in this very divisive topic. But I think there are an other vocal few that almost, and I think this is what we've seen in San Francisco and L.A. and places like that, where I, I've coined it almost this term of uh, uh, inverted um, um, uh, reparations. It's like, well, I don't mind. So I'm not going to the people that were discriminated against are not going to get the reparations. But I don't mind if the scenario actually hurts and takes away from those who benefited from the systems of the past. And I think that's just a terrible way to look at an entire community and everyone's needs. So we're talking about revenge rather than reconciliation. There are people who are just looking. Uh, they feel like justice will be served if we just take those upper class people down a few notches. Then we'll all Certainly feel not better. Everybody. I, I want to be clear. Certainly not everybody on that side feels that way. But right. I think there are a lot of them. These are the ones who say and laugh and heckle the people who got up and spoke last night that told us horrific stories about their grandchildren coming outside to see someone defecating or, you know, the, the masturbation stories, they, they're like, Oh, Oh, are your, you know, are your privileged eyes hurting seeing that? Like, oh, that's a ridiculous way to approach it. So children, it this is, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. It's one thing to, for, for adult to see that. Yeah, I can deal with that, but my children don't need to see that. Absolutely. So, 
what's the next step from here? Uh, is there going to be some sort of study to see how effective this is? When does this actually go into effect? Is this uh, immediate or what kind of timetable are we looking at? And yeah. how do we look to see whether this actually works? So, like I said, this is w- one major, but just one step in what, what ultimately needs to happen. Because all I care about is the outcome here. Um, this goes into effect on March 1st. So there's a couple weeks now for messaging and, and procedures and things to be in place. And then that will be in, 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 on the books. I think the next big issue, and one I've been preparing for for the last couple of weeks to try to have a strategy around, is enforcement. Enforcement's going to be the next thing. Anyone that's logical would say, but Tark, these things were on the books, you know, as soon as two and a half, three years ago, and it was still kind of a problem there. It's just gotten worse. So what we can't do is put our officers in a spot where we are actually criminalizing every single instance of this. Step one is for them to drive by and say, hey, I now have the authority to, to take you in. I don't want to do that. So if I drive back around here in the next hour and you're still here, uh, I'm going to have to do that. The, 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 lot, the next step would be picking them up. I think we need to create a step in between there, which really creates um, the, the, the decriminalization of this yet gives teeth which I've been saying is a homeless court. You, and, and court is almost the wrong word for it because it's not a court. It's a group of people that are appointed and um, are closest to these situations, know what the problems are, know what the solutions are. You can hold this court in, in a parking lot and in these different places where they're brought there. And, they are, and it's really just a routing to where they can get the most help needed. Networking and, and for resources. Yes, because the resources exist. And it's a problem of one, they don't know about it, or two, they don't want to do, they don't want to go, right? And I think that for those that don't know about it, we're going to take a huge chunk off the streets and get them where they actually need to be. This isn't just about affluent people having their eyes protected from the ugliness that is the world. It's also about making sure that the best interest of those people is in mind. Give me, I, I have always felt this way, and I've gotten massive pushback from, from even people in my own party saying, I want to be able to give money to homeless people. And I think to them, the only person that you are benefiting there is yourself and your feeling of goodness. Yes. That person, every dollar they get, they are, they are prolonging getting the actual services they need, whether it's workforce training, housing, whether it's uh, the uh, mental health help they need, all these other things. So, uh, so my hope is if we can get this next step correct, we add more ordinance on the books that gives more teeth, we, we get the homeless court set up as a routing mechanism, and then we know the final step, which is where do we actually need the resources because there's a humanitarian crisis backed up in front of it. And then all of a sudden, I think we're in a spot where literally if there's 3,000 people on the streets today that are classified as homeless, but only 300 or so that are chronically homeless, we could get this down to, the, to you know, 5% of that that actually just don't want help and don't need exactly. it. And maybe that's where the criminal system is, is, it has to be utilized if they continue to do aggressive things and inappropriate things. I'm, I'm understand fully where you're coming from. Tark Bakari. Thank you very much for coming on the broadcast and uh, spelling out uh, what sounds like a very redemptive process with a goal of not just uh, protecting our community, but also helping people who really need it. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the broadcast this morning. Yes, sir. Thanks, Vince. As we continue our broadcast, love to get your thoughts. 704 5 
Let's head over to the WBT Newsroom. Here's Brandon Dixon. All right. Thank you, Vince, and good morning. Well, thousands of students on the move in Cabarrus County. The school board voted 4-3 to three last night to send more than 4,000 students to different schools next year to ease overcrowding. This decision will affect not only our current student body, but the next generation of students. But plenty of parents unhappy their kids will be uprooted. Meanwhile, another issue facing local schools, the loss of federal COVID funds. We're calling it a funding cliff. The billions in bucks for schools across the Tar Heel State will run out by October. That's my big concern with the direction we're heading in right now, if we can keep up. Schools use the funding in a variety of ways, including for hiring and retention bonuses, upgrading HVAC systems, and summer school programs. The General Assembly will reconvene in April and consider changes to the state budget. The Senate in session early this morning to pass more than $85 billion in funding for Israel and Taiwan, but most of it for Ukraine. A lot of Republicans voted no. They want us to spend money, spend money to fix America's border. Without a secure border? Give me a break. I'm not doing that there's drugs terrorists criminals narco traffickers coming into our country in droves droves and this because this has got to stop florida senator rick scott the measure now goes to the house where it is not expected to pass former president trump once again going to the supreme court he's asking the justices to agree with him that he's immune from prosecution from the january 6th riots he wants the high court to put a stop to his upcoming trial while they consider the case now, trump's washington dc trial was was initially set for March 4th. If the justices issue a stay, expect the trial to be pushed back several months. That's correspondent David Spunt. This is Donald Trump making his recommendation for the new Republican National Committee chair. The former president yesterday proposed North Carolina GOP chair Michael Watley to take over the position currently held by Ronna McDaniel. Who, and that's because McDaniel was, quote, so powerful on election fraud in 2020, according to Trump. Now, the former president also announced daughter-in-law Lara Trump's run for vice chair. In New York today, a special election to replace Republican Representative George Santos, who was kicked out of Congress for misusing campaign cash. However, with heavy snow, it's not a good day for voting. The Nor'easter expected to dump several inches of snow and feature gusty winds throughout much of the day across the New York metro area and Long Island. Nassau County officials are not only concerned about low turnout amongst voters, but also about staffing the polling places if the roads get too treacherous to travel on. Reporter Ted Linder. And with that storm in the north, flights are affected locally. So far, 22 flights canceled, 20 delayed this morning in Charlotte. And this week, CMPD Animal Care and Control Center getting some much-needed renovated kennels. However, the overhaul means limited space for dogs. The shelter's Melissa Nicely tells Queen City News fostering or adopting can be a big help. A lot of people say, well, I can't take a dog for two months, but I could take a dog for three weeks. Will that help? Absolutely. That's going to help clear out one kennel for three weeks. And in three weeks, we could have three or four dogs that pass through that same kennel. They're also waiving the adoption fee for dogs during the entire renovation process. Well, time now to get a check of those morning roads. And for that, we turn to Boomer Von Cannon. Hey, thank you, Brandon. West Mecklenburg vehicle fire reported I-85 southbound near exit 29 Sam Wilson Road. I-77 northbound incident near exit 9 John Belt Freeway now moved to the right shoulder and a collision to the north on North Tryon at Mallow Creek Church Road. 
This report is sponsored by DryPro, your local trusted expert since 1999. DryPro, your local expert for foundation and crawl space repair. So book your free inspection now at 4DryPro.com. Boomer Vine Cannon, WBT Traffic. WBT News Time, 1037. Hi, honey. How was your day? I'm just so tired these days. Don't know what it is. I'm working out. I'm eating better. I just don't feel the way I used to. When was the last time you had a checkup? I don't know. Several years ago? Hmm. We need to make an appointment for you at the Carolina Men's Clinic. It might be your hormone levels. The Carolina Men's Clinic doctors are specialists in men's sexual health. Do not neglect your health any longer. My friend Sarah and her husband went two weeks ago, and she said her husband feels 21 again. She said he can't keep his hands off of her. Really? Really. The Carolina Men's Clinic treats all kinds of men's issues, from low energy, low T, ED, even male enhancement. Call the Carolina Men's Clinic today, 704-981-0043. And for a limited time, our office visit is only $89. That includes your exam, blood work, and doctor assessment. Call the Carolina Men's Clinic today at 704-981-0043 or visit thecarolinamensclinic.com. Strong winds will continue to come down here through the afternoon as we'll look at sunshine, 58. Clear tonight, low 35. Sunny tomorrow with a high 61. And abundant sunshine on Thursday with readings in the mid-60s. Friday, clouds make a return, high 63. Could see some showers late Friday night. Dry weather Saturday. Richard Wedding of the Weather Channel, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Sunny and 50 in Charlotte. At WBT, we lead local. I'm Brandon Dixon, WBT News. Back with Rich and Richie and Joel from Affordable Siding and Windows. For decades at Affordable Siding and Windows, we've seen constant growth. But this year, we're determined to make it our greatest year ever. So we're going to offer you the biggest discounts on siding that we've ever offered. Right now, take up to $2,500 off any complete James Hardy siding purchase or our Cedar Ridge siding. For over a quarter of a century, we've had the same products, the same crews, the same warranties. So don't delay. Call now and take advantage of $2,500 off any complete James Hardy siding purchase and again $2,500 off our exclusive Cedar Ridge siding as well. Buy two windows and get the third one free and take $500 off any custom entry door and $500 off on roofing. So come by our show home on Monroe Road in Charlotte and see, touch, and experience these products for yourself. That's Rich and Richie and Joel, your hometown home improvement experts. Affordable siding and windows. 704-536-6225 or affordablesiding.com. This is Tim Moore, a lifelong Republican and candidate for Congress in the new 14th Congressional District. I was born and raised in Cleveland County, and I've been proud to serve the Republican Party in helping to better shape North Carolina's future. I'm running for Congress because our country, state, and local communities are under attack. Joe Biden's open border policy is threatening the future of our country and putting all of our communities at risk. Drugs laced with fentanyl flow freely over the border, and it has led to thousands of senseless deaths. Illegal gangs and drive-by shootings are becoming an everyday occurrence, all driven by Joe Biden's failure to secure the border and keep Americans safe. As your congressman, I'll make securing the border my number one priority. It's time we send Joe Biden home. President Trump will secure the border, and I'll stand firm in making sure he has the support he needs to get the job done once and for all. This is Tim Moore, candidate for Congress. I approve this message and would appreciate your continued support. Paid for by friends of Tim Moore. Schneider Tree Care, expert tree care specialist for WPT and for you. 
back on the Vince Coakley radio program and on social media in response to our conversation with Tark Bakari and the ordinances that have been strengthened. Deborah says it's very unnerving to walk out the door at Discovery Place immediately get accosted by a homeless person wanting money when you have a child with you. Yeah. This is one of the things, it's frustrating. I see this every day. You know, it's really interesting how my, my life has changed since moving. This was something, well, actually, there was some of this up in the north part of town, but I see more of this in the south like on South Boulevard, on Tyvola. Uh, I see this all the time, pretty much every day. I'm seeing people out who are panhandling. And one of the thoughts that always goes through my mind is, I know, and, and this is one of the things that the points that Tark Bakari's made, there are resources out there to help people who genuinely want and need help. The question is, do these folks really want to avail themselves of those resources? Do they really want help? Or is it a situation where people are just, you know, let's be honest. Are they just scamming people? And I have to think that's a lot of what we are dealing with in these situations. There are people, I remember when I was in Kentucky years ago, we had a situation where uh, I think the a television station there did some research and they found there was basically a, uh, this was kind of crazy. They had a setup. It was a business where these guys were working shifts by an underpass, basically going out and collecting money. That's what it was. It was a, it was a scam. So there are better ways if, if you need help. You know, and of course, nobody who's in this kind of situation is listening to the radio right now. But, but I think the challenge to us is that we don't exacerbate this problem by giving people money on the street. This is where we have to take responsibility. Uh, this is a good tie-in, and I promise I'm not going to go too far <laughs> beyond the time here, Tommy. I'll just say that <laughs> it's like, yeah, likely story. Let me just say briefly, and, and I may say more about this in the future. I, I so appreciate there's one person in my life I consider an elder, and we had a wonderful conversation on Sunday. And, and one of the challenges that, and, and he issued this to me years ago. He just told me, Vince, you've got to do a better job of guarding your virtue. What's he talking about? People taking advantage of you, being a nice guy. And so you pour yourself out to people, loving, caring for people. And it's not those are bad things. But you end up being abused and taken advantage of. And this is a message I think needs to be put out there to the community. We are not helping people when we encourage these kinds of behaviors on the street. If you need help, hey, here's a center you can go to where you can find resources to help you get on your feet. Panhandling is not the answer. So for those of you 
who have a weak conscience and you're easily manipulated like this, please stop. Back to the Vince Coakley radio program. Let's go out to a call from Steve. Good morning, Steve, and welcome. Good morning, Vince. Yes, sir. I think uh, uh, the idea here is to, you have a, a list of all these places that provide those folks services. So let's print up a whole bunch of those things. Let us average citizens carry them around with us. Ooh. And whenever somebody approaches us on the street, we just hand them a list of where to get the services. That's uh, pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's that's a brilliant yeah, idea. Then, then a lot of them will probably just throw those on the street. So then you gather up those folks and uh, put them in a workforce and have them pick up those same lists again. <laughs> you get to clean up as a result of the mess that you have made here. That's a brilliant exactly. idea, Steve. A brilliant idea. You know what would be really cool would be to make up some cards, some little laminated cards to to pass out to yeah. people. And, cause exactly. this, and, and make sure they get in the hands of us, you know, who's ever going uptown, wherever the problems are. Make sure they're available for us to pick up a stack to use as handouts because you don't really don't want to just tell somebody, go away, leave me alone. So it's better if you say, well, here, maybe this will help you. That is a brilliant idea, Steve. Um, I'm going to talk to, in fact, uh, Tark Bakari uh, very soon. And uh, I don't know, this could be a really cool idea. Uh, this can be done in a very classy way. And, and I, can Im- I can imagine very inexpensively. You know, it's, it's not rocket science, folks. It really isn't rocket science. So, uh, yeah, it would be great to see some traction here. Because you've seen so many other cities that have not done well here at all. Our friend who tells me he agrees with me 5% of the time, I think that number's probably gone up. Don't tell Keith I said that. Keith writes in, hope all is well. I'm speechless at this point. What are we doing here, Vince? Are we just printing money and giving it away? Shaking my head. Yes, Keith, that's exactly what we're doing. We are printing money and giving it away. This is really sad. So the Senate passed a $95.3 billion foreign aid bill with assistance for Ukraine and Israel. This was passed early this morning. They basically pulled an all-nighter. And now there will be a showdown with the House. Speaker Mike Johnson has criticized this legislation, appropriately so. Billions of dollars to support Ukraine and for security assistance for Israel. Also, some humanitarian assistance for civilians in Gaza, the West Bank, and Ukraine, among other priorities. Now, it's unclear whether Johnson would hold a vote on it, and many House Republicans are opposed to further aid to Ukraine. Now, the bill passed the Senate despite Johnson's criticism of the legislation and former President Donald Trump's signaling opposition to the bill by arguing the U.S. should stop providing foreign aid unless it's in the form of a loan. The vote, by the way, 70 to 29, 22 Republicans voting in favor, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. I just think we need to get things done for the American people. History settles every account today on the value 
of American leadership and strength, history will record the Senate did not blink. <laughs> really? $60 billion for Ukraine, 14.1 for Israel, $9.2 billion in humanitarian assistance, $4.8 billion to support regional partners in the Indo-Pacific region. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky welcomed the news in a statement thanking Schumer, McConnell, and every U.S. senator who supported continued assistance to Ukraine as we fight for freedom, democracy, and the values we all hold dear. Isn't that just wonderful? He added, for us in Ukraine, continued U.S. assistance helps to save human lives from Russian terror. It means life will continue in our cities and will triumph over war. American assistance brings just peace in Ukraine closer and restores global stability, resulting in increased security and prosperity for all Americans and all the free world. It all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? So what happens now in the House? We will see. There will have to be some serious conversations. I know a lot of folks who are very firm on this from the standpoint of a priority of strengthening our border before anything else. It is kind of crazy when you think about it to throw all of this money at another country over their border dispute. And here we are not prioritizing our own border. Put on your own mask before helping others. But this is completely forgotten by people in this country, allegedly in leadership, as they continue to spend money we do not have. We do not have it. So we're going to further, further throw ourselves into debt. This is another example of false compassion. Still to come, we'll talk about the border battle. And the Democrats' plan B, just in case. But we begin with Transformation Tuesday. Stay with us. And welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program. Still to come, we will talk about what's going on in the state of New York. This is really important. Isn't it? It's scary to look and see the balance of power in the House. I mean, you want to talk about a razor-thin majority Republicans have. And here's the possibility of a congressional seat that was in Republican hands. It could actually go. (laughs) We'll find out what's going on in that particular race. Also, plan B. What are the Democrats going to do if, for whatever reason, Joe Biden is not their man? And we'll talk about the internal battle over immigration that's going on in the Biden White House. Just some of what we will address in addition to more information about this person. I think that's the safest way to put it. Who went into the church connected to Joel Osteen and started shooting. I can guarantee you this story is pretty much dead for the mainstream news media. They're not interested anymore because of who it is and what this person is about. First, 
let's get to Transformation Tuesday. I am a person who has really come to love stories. I love stories. Case in point, I found this on social media. Uh, I, I especially love music. I, uh, I may share with you shortly, not today, one of my recent obsessions musically. I, you know, because I've been in the radio business for quite some time, I really like researching things on charts and stories of things that have happened with people and how they, you know, the chance encounters that happen that cause their careers to take off. Things like that are, are those things are really cool. Let me tell you about Bill Withers. Bill Withers wrote the song, Ain't No Sunshine, at age 31. Do you know what he was doing at the time? He was working in a factory making toilet seats for airplanes. Think about that a moment. Making toilet seats for airplanes. And, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not shaming anybody by saying this. Can you imagine if you're out and about and you meet somebody new and they ask you, what do you do for a living? Well, I make toilet seats for airplanes. You know, if it's a date, you can pretty much flush that opportunity goodbye. <laughs> Cue the rim shot there. <laughs> um, seriously. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Um Using his own money, Bill Withers would record demo tapes and play at various clubs at night. When he debuted with Ain't No Sunshine, he refused to quit his day job, believing the music business was pretty fickle industry. Well, imagine somebody thinking that. Fortunately for him, the song turned out to be a massive hit. When it went gold, the record company gave him a gold toilet as a gift. Marking the start of his new career. Isn't that cool? A gold toilet. That reminds me of uh, when Mariano Rivera, not to make it about sports, but when Mariano Rivera retired uh, and did his you know, sort of year-long tour around the major leagues, the Minnesota Twins, I believe, uh, brought out a rocking chair throne type thing for him, all made out of uh, bats that his pitches broke. So that kind of oh reminds goodness. me of that. That is so cool. I love things like that. That's awesome. And it's it's so thoughtful because it 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 kind of it captures something very important about that person and allows them to cultivate memories of that legacy. We told you what happened with Bill Withers at age thirty one in nineteen eighty five at age forty seven. Bill Withers decided to walk away from it all. He felt the record companies he worked with were constantly trying to exert more and more control over how he should sound if he wanted to sell more albums. He felt pigeonholed. <laughs> I'll share this bad joke with you in a moment. He felt pigeonholed and no longer wanted to be part of the music business. In 2015, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He claimed to have no regrets, provided the following reflection on his later life. 
I've always been serious that way. Trying to evolve to a more conscious state. Funny thing about that. You tweak yourself looking for more love, less lust, more compassion, less jealousy. You keep tweaking. Keep adjusting those knobs until you can no longer find the original settings. In some sense, the original settings are exactly what I'm looking for. I returned to the easygoing guy I was before my world got complicated. The nice guy who took things as they came and laughed so hard the blues would blow away in the summer wind. Here's a guy who, from what I can see, never really lost himself. I always knew who he was. This is cool. See, I love this stuff. He ultimately did not allow the system or whatever to change him. And, and I, there's another way I can identify with this personally. I don't know how many people I hear, you know, I run into people all the time and they recognize my voice or appearance, even other cities. I'll go other places and think, great, I'll get away. Nobody will know me in such and such city. <laughs> and I'm on the elevator. Hey, aren't you Vince Coakley? Like, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> but the point being, I can so identify with Bill Withers here because there are so many people who think, hey, you, you, you should have stayed in TV longer. You know, and I've wrestled with that at different times, and, and I've been reminded, frankly, how miserable I was. And that's important for me to keep that in mind. It doesn't matter what people on the outside think. You know, on the outside, things can look very cool, can't they? Look very... Uh, glamorous, lucrative, whatever. And nobody really knows how that affects your soul, except for you. So, message in all of this, don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. And don't allow whatever it is to seduce you into a place where you really don't want to be. It's... Not really complicated. All right. Before we go to break, Chris, okay, I, I want to make sure you understand. It's Chris who writes in to me all the time. He is the person behind this bad joke. So do not turn your ire toward me. It's Chris about Bill Wither, Withers working at a factory making toilet seats. Chris says now he can take a royal dump. Chris, what are we going to do with you? Love to thank Deborah for sending something to me. She had a comment earlier about the discomfort of having a child with her and dealing with panhandlers. She has a picture of a sign out of Virginia, and it's a pretty interesting sign. It's very simple. It says, say no to panhandling. It's okay to say no. Contribute to the solution. Give to local charities. And then it says, need help? Housing crisis hotline. And it gives the phone number. This is certainly the kind of thing that can be very helpful. In fact, um, this is in Chesapeake, Virginia. 
I am going to, in fact, send this over to uh, Tark Bakari. I think he'll be uh, quite intrigued by uh, what they've done here, because this is something that would be good to do here. Axios has a great story about the infighting going on in the Biden administration over the border issue. It starts off talking about conversation aboard Air Force One en route to tour the southern border. President Biden sat at the head of his conference table and exploded with fury. The president led into his team, which included then Deputy Chief of Staff General Malley, Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall, and other immigration officials. He demanded obscure immigration data points invented when his staff didn't have them handy. The previously unreported meeting recounted to Axios by three people familiar with the events is emblematic of the Biden administration's struggle with the border crisis during the past three years. Infighting, blame shifting, and indecision. Boy, this is really a great advertisement for four more years, isn't it? Biden's fury subsided and aides scrambled for the information he wanted. People in the meeting later told others in frustration his winding process and irritability were making it more difficult to reach decisions about the border. The White House counters the meeting was productive. Spokesperson Andy Bates telling Axios multiple first-hand participants of the meeting refute this description of the tone and outcome of a conversation on the specifics of this complex issue. The rolling chaos along the border has grown to the point Biden now is embracing. I want you to hear this part. This is hilarious. Biden is now embracing immigration policies he ran against in 2020, such as restricting asylum laws and suggesting he'll shut down the border. This is a real threat to his campaign. Much of the current crisis, Axios reports, is rooting in, rooted in factors Biden's team has little control over, including unprecedented global calamities that have pushed millions of migrants to the U.S., decades of congressional inaction, and the state of key agencies after the Trump administration. Many current and former Biden officials say they believe they've done their best considering the circumstances, but others told Axios they think the administration's fallen far short on matters within its control. See, this is the key thing. Don't tell me about what you can't do. The question is, what have you done with the resources that you have? Axios reports on this crisis has grown slowly, but it's grown nonetheless. Nobody wanted to own it. This is what came up repeatedly in interviews done by this news agency. One person saying, if you're the person briefing the president, you get to take him off every day. Now, of course, there are some people trying to make this mess look better than it is. Kamala Harris, remember? <laughs> she was in charge of the border. She was supposed to, you know, look into these factors driving people to leave Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. That was her job. 
As the migration became more global, Harris's team remained focused on the Northern Triangle in Mexico. A former Biden administration senior official told Axios she's been at best ineffective and at worst sporadically engaged and not seeing as her responsibility. It's an opportunity for her, and she didn't fill the breach. Boy, there's a great endorsement for president. A sign of her inexperience came early on when she asked an official on her team for a memo explaining the difference between refugees and asylum seekers. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Warring ideologies inside the White House, the Democratic Party, slow decision making. Some officials wanted policies designed to punish or deter people who crossed the border illegally. Others, including vocal immigration advocates outside the administration, pushed to reform asylum policies and expand legal pathways for migrants to stay in the U.S. And the immigration team saw constant turnover. As a result, the strategy incoherent from the very beginning. This is not shocking at all. But that's the bottom line. This is chaos. Pure chaos. People really don't know what they're doing. They don't. <laughs> Some of these conversations reported in here are absolutely hilarious. I mean, it, it's, it's really juvenile. Some of the infighting taking place within the administration. But, you know... This is what happens when people are clamoring for power. There still is deep animosity toward Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra for reluctance to find more space in child migrant centers overseen by HHS. Remember Susan Rice referred to Becerra And this is not my language. This is her language. Refer to her as a bitch ass. Privately called him an idiot, according to multiple sources. During one meeting, when Biden was tearing into Becerra, Rice passed Mayorkas a note that read, Don't save him. (laughs) These are nasty people. They really are. I, I just... I, I I really have to recover brain cells after reading this story. Because at the end of the day, they're not doing something that's really very simple. This is very simple. It's not complicated. But the problem is, when you have considerations of politics, rather than the priority of protecting the American people, it's going to take you to places where it's just wrought with conflict and confusion. So, if you had any doubt about what's going on and why, here it is. Infighting. Backbiting. So I can tell you there's a whole lot of anxiety going on about Joe Biden and his condition, whatever that is. Politico has a story. Democrats might need a plan B. Here's what it looks like. 
the political and procedural steps for how to pick a new presidential nominee. This is not something they want to talk about publicly. Now they're saying special counsel Robert Hur's report may have forced their hand. Remember what he said about Joe Biden? They can't avoid this now. Her stinging characterization of President Biden as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory and diminished faculties has thrust the president's age and mental fitness into the debate. Coupled with a widespread perception, Biden is too old for another term. The fact that he frequently trails former President Donald Trump in swing states polling matchups. Is this guy the one who can lead the party in November? So now there's talk of a contingency plan. It would not be easy to swamp him out. The likeliest outcome, Biden stays on the ticket. But it's also possible to envision different scenarios where the party does indeed nominate someone other than Biden at its August convention, or even picks an alternative afterward to compete in a historic general election. A backup strategy can only be deployed if Biden voluntarily steps aside or if he's physically unable to stand for nomination. At the moment, despite the anxiety, there's no dispute Biden is on a glide path to the nomination. The long-shot rival, Dean Phillips, <laughs> forget it. He didn't have a chance. A late-entering white knight candidate is not an ap- option at this point, even though about 3% of the total delegates have been awarded so far. Just 3%. Here's what they're up against. By the end of this month, filing deadlines for primary ballot access will have passed in all but six states in the District of Columbia. Even if a candidate managed to get on the ballots in all those states, even if they won every single delegate, it still wouldn't make much of a dent against Biden's delegate hall. Biden will amass more delegates on March 5th, Super Tuesday in the state of California than from those six states and D.C. combined. Short of incapacitation or highly unlikely convention floor revolt from delegates already pledged to Biden and loyal to the president, there's one practical plan B. Biden himself agrees to hand over the baton. (laughs) He's a proud man whose ego has been shaped by the experience of winning election to the Senate in his 20s then being denied the presidency several times before finally securing it, convincing him that he's in an increasingly untenable position and needs to stand down, well, that's not going to come easy. There's a path that enables him to leave with dignity and on his terms. Here's how they've described this. Let the primary campaign run its course, ending June 4th. Biden finishes as the victor. And then Biden announces he's not going to accept the nomination and release his delegates to back a different nominee. He could insist, hey, I'm still fit to serve out another term. Everything's on track. But I've done what I need to do, and it's time to pass on the torch to somebody else. Then we have a scramble among potential successors. All of these people start to jockey. Heading into the convention, Biden would still remain a kingmaker. 
If the rest of the primaries went as South Carolina and Nevada have, the vast majority of delegates to the convention would be pledged to Biden. They aren't legally required to support the president or anyone else he endorses. But these individuals would have been vetted by the Biden campaign, and they would likely follow his lead if he backed a candidate. You know what the thorniest issue is? Kamala. Biden's delegates do not automatically attach to her in his absence. His poor, her poor approval ratings and her performance in the 2020 primaries hardly inspired confidence. But the party will be acutely aware of the risks of alienating black voters. Other prospects. Gavin Newsom of California. J.B. Pritzker of Illinois. Among the most energetic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Eugh. Can you imagine these folks? Then you'd have drama. Drama, drama, drama. Of course, this would be a lot easier if he decides, you know, I'm not going to run. I'm going to endorse this person. Here's my choice. I'm asking you to get behind this person. What if Biden pushed through the doubts and was nominated, then unable to compete? Convention rules say the event of the death, resignation, or disability of the nominee. The party chair will confer with the Democratic leadership of the Congress, the Democratic Governors Association, report to the roughly 450 members of the Democratic National Committee who would choose a new nominee. They would also pick a new running mate if they elevated Harris to the top of the ticket. Either way, this is going to be a logistical nightmare. Overseas military ballots, they're set to go out just a couple of weeks after the convention. In-person early voting begins as early as September 20th in Minnesota and South Dakota. Isn't that crazy? The glare is on Biden right now. Republicans face similar thorny questions. The likely nominee, Trump, 77 years old, prone to verbal slip-ups, senior moments, facing myriad legal issues, raised questions about the viability of his candidacy. But in one way, Trump's grasp on the nomination may be stronger than Biden's. Delegates to the Republican convention are actually bound, not just pledged. No way to deny Trump if he has the majority of delegates. What both situations reveal in an era of weakened national parties. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. As long as Biden and Trump plow forward, there's no real mechanism to derail them. This is not the kind of news a lot of people want to hear. But this is the reality. It looks like these are the two that we are stuck with, for better or for worse. Unless somebody decides to stand down for some reason or another. Yeah, I would love to watch the Democrat Party try to figure out what to do. Because I can tell you, they do not want Kamala. That's very clear.
final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program on this Tuesday. A lot to try to zip through in our last segment. Uh, One of them I want to touch on, the race for New York's 3rd Congressional District. And this is described as a seat that is actually in jeopardy. There's a possibility that Republicans could lose this seat. Cook Political Report is rated Anthony Esposito, Mike Lawler, Mark Molinaro, and Brandon Williams as being in toss-up districts after winning their seats in 2022. Three of the four currently represent districts with a net Democratic partisan vote index. So it's an uphill battle for these candidates, which is not a good thing at all. And in this particular district, it actually favors a Democrat now. What Democrats would love to do is to win the seat now that George Santos is out of the way. The candidates for this one, Tom Suozzi and Republican Mazi Pillow. So, Pay close attention to this. Certainly, if Democrats take the seat, this will be all they talk about. If they lose, well, it wasn't important anyway. (laughs) You know how this thing works. Another quick item. We may talk more about this tomorrow because I can't really spend the time I want to on this. A Texas woman who opened fire Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church accused of being a schizophrenic with Munchausen by proxy, still able to legally purchase the AR-15 she used to unleash horror on Sunday. Janess Yvonne Marino had a lengthy criminal record going back to 2005, including charges of assault, weapons, marijuana possession, forgery, and a history of mental illness. Held an emergency detention order in 2016. They also found anti-Semitic writings, and Marino appeared to have issues with Jewish relatives. There's a familial dispute that's taken place between her ex-husband and her ex-husband's family, many, some of whom, are Jewish. Marino used several identities under both genders, and it's unclear what gender she identified as. However, police said on Monday she's believed to be the biological mother of the seven-year-old she brought into the church with her, who was hurt, by the way. So, based on all these facts, this is not something they're able to tie to Donald Trump or the MAGA movement. So, they will tell you there's nothing to see here and keep moving. (laughs) It's crazy, absolutely crazy. Super Bowl. Well, Sunday Super Bowl raked in an audience of 123.4 million viewers on CBS, Nickelodeon, Univision, and digital platforms, including NFL Plus. It's up 7% from last year's record-breaking audience of 115.1 million on Fox. 
CBS led the way with 120 million watching on the broadcast network alone, marking the largest audience in history for a single network. According to Nielsen, more than 200 million viewers tuned in for at least part of the game across networks, up 10% from last year's figure of 184 million. The 2024 game is not only the most watched Super Bowl ever, it's now the second most watched TV program in history. In first place, the 1969 Apollo 11 moon landing that aired across multiple networks. This also means the Chiefs have played in and won the two most watched Super Bowls of all time. Pretty extraordinary, huh? I want to have a little fun before we go. I want you to hear this woman. Her name is Janine, and she calls herself the MAGA Meme Queen. I want you to tell me, in fact, Tommy, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're going to play this, and you're going to tell me, who is it? Well, I can't, because you know, because it's on the label. I I do have a clue here that I'm looking at, but I'll play along. See who this sounds like. Listen up. We are here today at this prestigious insert location to talk with people. Okay. People in uniform, people in suits, people in t-shirts, people in dresses, and all of these people are here today together. Okay. Because we want to be unburdened by the things that have burdened us in the past and in the present, and perhaps even in the future. And as I look around, I see the sun is shining, and I see that there are trees over there, and there is ground beneath us, and I have hands, and they are clapping, (laughs) and I am laughing. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. There you go, Tommy. Take it away. Was that Kamala Harris? That's Janine imitating Kamala Harris. That is scary. It sounds just like her, doesn't it? And even that laugh, it it sent a chill down my spine. (laughs) That's all the fun we're having for today. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios. Adios.